turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Bible, Bible app. Follow along with us in God's word. This morning we're going to continue our study through the book of Acts, and we're going to look today at receiving the word. Our, our main text is Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 15. But first, let's start by reading verses 1 through 9, just to help keep the context for our study today. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason." sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, verse 6, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And the city, when they heard these things, I'm sorry, and, and they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Last week, as we studied those verses, we also looked at, at four things I believed we could learn from Paul and his team about how to turn this upside down world right side up. And I encourage you, if you missed that study, to, to go back and, and check it out. But with those things in mind, as we have now that context of that passage that just preceded what we're going to look at today, let's read verse 10. Verse 10 says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. So we ended our time last week looking at the first half of this verse, which you know showed us the, the seriousness of the threat of, of the mob, the mob that the gospel-rejecting Jews in Thessalonica had formed uh, from evil men in the marketplace who gathered in order to set the city in an uproar against Paul and Silas. The, the danger this had put some of the new believers in because they were associated with Paul and Silas and how the city officials had gotten involved and taken security, a, a bond, to make sure that no more trouble took place. And because of all this, the new believers there in the city of Thessalonica, they send Paul and Silas away secretly by night to Berea, which I believe means that Timothy stayed behind there, uh, you know, joining them in Berea a little later on, which we're going to see in verse 14. But again, we, we see the endurance and the priorities of these men in, in how they just kept moving forward, kept being about Jesus and his kingdom and his gospel and his commission, no matter what kind of opposition they faced. We, we see that 
as we see in the second half of verse 10, that when they arrived in Berea, they went into the synagogue. Now, Berea was about 46 miles southwest of Thessalonica at the foot of a mountain, and it it was not located on the, the major trade route, the Ignatian Way, that Philippi and Thessalonica were in. In a lot of ways, we could say this city was sort of off the beaten path. It, it was not a major city like Thessalonica was. And, you know, that to me speaks volumes of the Thessalonian believers maybe wanting to just preserve the safety in Paul and Silas by sending them somewhere that they thought maybe they wouldn't be found. You know what? I don't think they're going to look for them over here. We'll send them a little bit farther away. We'll get off the major trade route. Wout, major trade route. And we'll send them over there and, and we'll send them by night. No one knows what's going on. We're going to keep these guys safe. But again, we see this continued pattern of Paul and Silas. They didn't get to Berea and just go into hiding. They didn't go in disguise and just kind of hang out. They didn't stay in some sort of safe house. They get there and they find a synagogue, seeking out a synagogue gathering. They go and bring the gospel to their Jewish countrymen first, as has been their pattern. As is clear from what we're going to see in verses 11 and 12, when they get to the synagogue, they would have began to preach about Jesus. Uh, Luke doesn't give us the details of that, but it's clear from how the Berean people respond here in this synagogue gathering that that's what took place. Paul and Silas get there. They begin to preach about Jesus, no doubt doing what they would have done in Thessalonica and in other cities where they found a synagogue, reasoning from the scriptures with both Jews and any devout Greeks who would have been present explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer, he had to die, he had to rise from the dead, drawing those lines straight from the scriptures to Jesus being the Christ, giving evidence that Jesus is the fulfillment of those messianic passages. And so as they did that, we now see their response in verses 11 and 12. Verse 11 says, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. Here we see the response to Paul and Silas is preaching, and we find a really powerful commendation of the Bereans in the synagogue here that they were more fair-minded, meaning that they were more noble, they were more uh, open-minded, they had a, 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 an elevated character, more, Luke says, than those in Thessalonica. And the reason for that commendation was because Luke notes that they received the word with all readiness, they, skir- they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether the things that Paul and Silas were preaching to them were right, were true, were accurate. 
what what showed their high character, what share, showed their their fair or open mindedness. It was how they responded to the word, to the the message, the gospel that was being preached to them, that was being shared with them. They received it. That word receive speaks of welcoming, of accepting, of taking hold of something. They took hold of, they welcomed in the word, the the message they were hearing. Notice with all readiness, that word readiness speaks of an an eager enthusiasm, a zeal. And they, they searched, meaning that they analyzed, they examined closely, they questioned the scriptures. As John Stott put it, they combined receptivity with critical questioning. Doing this daily to find out whether these things were so. This tells us that they weren't just waiting till the next Sabbath to come to the synagogue to hear from Paul and Silas and, and then making sure the things that they were being taught were lining up with scripture, but that they were going to the synagogue every day because they were eager to know the truth. They were daily opening the different scrolls where the messianic passages would be found and not just taking Paul and Silas's word for it, but really investigating for themselves without bias to see if Jesus was the Christ that Paul and Silas professed him to be. And as they did that, as they searched the scriptures daily, they were able to come to the right conclusion that Jesus is the Christ. And because they came to that conclusion, they made the right response, with response, which was that many of them believed and also not a few, meaning there was quite a few Greeks, prominent women, as well as men. But unlike in Thessalonica, where only some of the Jews were persuaded and believed, and, and also a multitude of Greeks, here we're told that many of the Jews believed, and, and, and along with them, many of the Greeks. But that statement in verse 11 about these Bereans being more fair-minded, being more noble, of, of higher character, being more open-minded than those in Thessalonica is, is really interesting. It's really interesting, and it's going to mean a lot more to us when we read what Paul said about the Thessalonian believers in his first letter to them. Check out what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He said, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, You welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. And we're going to leave this passage up on the screen for a bit. See, reading what Paul thanked God for here regarding how the Thessalonian believers received the word of God when he and Silas preached to them, it helps us to see the kind of way that the Bereans must have also received the word, but even more so considering the, uh, not condemnation, the, the commendation that they're given. 
But there's also encouragements and exhortations for us here too, to, to be those who really receive the word of God, really learning from their example on how to do that. The Bereans forever are an example to us of people who were about the word. They're an example, so much of an example that, you know, they came out with Christian bookstores called Berean Christian bookstores because it became synonymous with really being students of the word, really being about the word of God. You would hear throughout, you know, the church, not church history, but even in more modern times, you know, be a Berean, really be a Berean. You're like, wow, that's great. Like, what exactly does that mean for my life? Like, what is that supposed to look like? How am I supposed to be a Berean? Well, we learn some things from how they received the word, how the Thessalonians even received the word, things that we could take away from what Paul thanked God for in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, and the commendation about the Bereans in Acts 17, verse 11. There's some things that we can learn about how to better receive God's word. See, in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, we... We see three important points of application for us personally in the example of how the Thessalonian believers and also the Berean believers heard, received, welcomed, and believed the word of God. Notice that Paul says that they received the word of God, which they heard from them. They received after they heard. And this leads to our first point of application here this morning on how we can better receive the word. Receiving the word, number one, begins with hearing, with taking in God's word. Receiving begins with hearing. Check out what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. He said, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Guys, there's never going to be a point where we just don't need to hear. We don't need to take in the word of God anymore. Our faith is influenced. It's impacted. It grows and deepens by the hearing, the the taking in of God's word into our lives. We got to have open ears and open hearts to the word of God and and have to give his word the right position of priority that it deserves in our lives. Believing faith and day-by-day faith for this life of faith both come from hearing, from taking in God's word. But Paul went on to thank God in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 by saying that they welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which leads to our our second point of application. And that's that in order to receive the word of God, we have to welcome it. See, there, there needs to be more than just hearing taking place when it comes to the word of God. There needs to be a welcoming God's word and an inviting in to stay and having free reign and, and that welcoming has a lot to do with the condition of our hearts. Check out what Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, 
where he responded to his disciples' question about what the parable of the sower and seed and soils meant that he had just taught about in the preceding verses. Jesus explained this to his disciples in Luke chapter 8, verses 11 through 15. He said, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Again, the receiving and and welcoming of the word of God has a lot to do with the condition of our hearts. Understand that the problem in each of these situations is not the seed representing the, the the word of god it's the soil representing a person's heart and while there's general application that gives us insight into how different people respond to the word of god the gospel there's also a personal application for each of us as believers because it's possible for those who uh, those of us who have heard god's word and had it sown into our hearts and have been saved through the gospel to have these four different soils existing in the field of our hearts. There can be areas of hardness to God's word where we don't receive something he's speaking to us, maybe convicting or correcting or rebuking us in, or maybe challenging us with, but we We don't humble ourselves and let the seed of God's word penetrate our hearts so that change can take place. We can have that sort of wayside sort of soil in our own hearts, even as believers to certain things that the word of God might want to penetrate through. There can be areas of shallowness to God's word, maybe a a lack of desire to really go deeper in the things of the Lord, maybe a a laziness or apathy that's settled into our lives in certain areas of our walk with Jesus. And so our Christian life becomes more surfacy and less fruitful as God's word isn't able to go deeper and take root. Oftentimes we see this sort of soil exist in someone who lives their Christian life off of Christian hype. There's sort of an emotionalism without a depth of maturity. They get excited in the moment, but when things get hard, the things that were springing up quickly burn away. Maybe you've seen that in your own life over the years. Man, like you get all excited and you get all pumped, but there's not really a depth there. The soil is really shallow. There's some rocks there that are keeping the soil from being deeper from that root really taking uh, uh, taking down and getting down into the soil of your hearts. And, and we can see how that maybe has impacted our own 
growth and maturity in the Lord. There can be areas of, of crowding in our hearts to God's word, the, the thorns and things that have grown up with the word of God, crowding out God's word in our hearts, maybe unconfessed and unrepentant sins, maybe a, a lack of trust in God's provision or his love or his character, maybe some discontentment or greed or covetousness that would cause a person to desire what someone else has or be dissatisfied with what they don't have. Or maybe it's seeking satisfaction and fulfillment and pleasure in the world through carnal means. Where you're, you're, you're getting God's word in, but because there's other things that are crowding it out, God's word isn't able to flourish. It's not really able to have breathing room. Because there's other stuff that's strangling the fruitfulness from taking place. I've seen that in my own life in years past. Where because of sin, it's like there's no real growth that's able to take place. There's no real fruitfulness that's able to, to, to take shape in my life because that sin that's not being dealt with or those, those cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, it grows up at the same time. Those things are going to grow. What you sow into your heart is going to grow. Jesus was masterful at using life examples. These parables were things that these people could look at and go, I get it. Because I get the principle of sowing and reaping. We don't get that as much today because we don't live in an agrarian society. The only time that we really get that is when we decided to like make a, a COVID garden. Like <laughs> during, during the pandemic, we decided to like get some raised gardens going or maybe we, we got some herbs and some different things and we, we really wanted to work on this thing. If I have to be stuck at home, I should at least be like having something growing. But we start to learn something as we put ourselves in that sort of place that what you sow is going to grow. And when you sow in God's word, it's going to grow in your life. Things are going to sprout up. But if you're sowing other things with God's word, those things are going to grow at the same time and understand that the fruitfulness is only attached to the word the other things just become thorns. The other things are going to grow and their fruitfulness is it has a choking effect on the word of God and you're in my life. These things in a person's heart will choke out, will crowd out, will stifle God's word from accomplishing all that God desires it to do. It'll cause us to become unfruitful. Having an unaltered and self-satisfying life that doesn't really honor or glorify God in this world. As believers, we don't want those first three soils to be true of us. We want that fourth soil to be true that we see in verse 15. The good ground. 
where a crop is able to come up 30, 60, 100 fold. The good soil is the one that really received, really welcomed the word that wasn't crowded and choked out by other things, but was soft and yielded to the seed, the word of God. The soil that kept the word with patience, a, a steadfast endurance that withstands hardships. And the result for that kind of soil, that kind of heart is an amazing and abundant harvest, a, a fruitful life. Guys, it's so important that we really welcome God's word, not just giving it the key to the front door of our heart, but everything else inside stays locked away. But giving God's word the master key, free reign, the welcome to do whatever God wants to do. The Thessalonian believers, and no doubt Berean believers too, saw the message of Paul and Silas not just as another message or a, a really nice message, but as it is in truth, the word of God, and they welcomed it as such. Check out what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. See guys, the, the Bible that you have before you is the direct result of the Holy Spirit of God moving and speaking and writing through holy men of God, what God himself wanted to be written down. And he's preserved that for us. And it's through his word, it's through scripture that we become complete. We become mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, it's important that we welcome the word of God as it is in truth. Not the word of men, but the word of God. Paul went on to Thank God in a, in a closing way in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 for how the word had also effectively worked in them who believed. Which leads to our third point of application about receiving the word that we learn from these guys. It, it's that in order for the word to effectively work in us, we must believe. We must believe. Check out what we're told in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. The author of Hebrews writes this. He says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The, the word of God is powerful. It's, it's living. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And and when our receiving of the word is coupled with faith, when it's coupled with belief, it works effectively. It works powerfully in and through our lives. But we also see this mixing of faith with hearing and how the Bereans responded to the gospel message that they had heard from Paul and Silas. You know, there's a lot we can learn from the Bereans and how they received the word with all readiness. And I don't know about you, but there's times where I 
receive God's word, but there is not a readiness. Not just like I'm not ready, like I'm, I'm feeling rushed, but when we think about that word readiness, meaning in eager enthusiasm, meaning having a zeal, how many of us would say that that's how we would describe how we receive the word of God each day? I think we might have times where that would describe us. I think there'd be moments where we would go, gosh, there was a zeal. There was, a, there was an enthusiasm. I was eager to really take in and welcome God's word into my life in that moment. But I think oftentimes what happens for me even is it becomes a little rote. I'm, 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 I'm reading I'm trying to receive, but I'm not really very eager necessarily. I don't know if excitement would be how I would describe my personal time with the Lord each day. How does that, how does that take place? How does that change for us? How do we get ourselves out of the sort of funk that we can find ourselves in in our time in the word of God? How do we see things revamped? How do we see revival take place? Are you asking me? Are you guys asking me that? I'm asking myself. I want to know how I see that change in my own life. No, you know what? There's <laughs> oftentimes, you know what? You know why things don't change? Is we don't bring them before the Lord saying, God, this thing needs to change. I just keep going through the motions. And because I keep going through the motions and I'm ignoring that, that there's a lack of freshness, there's a, a lack of eagerness, there's a, a lack of excitement in my time with the Lord, you know what ends up happening? I just stay in that place. Instead of going, Lord, I want to be excited about your word. Lord, I want there to be a freshness about my time with you, my relationship with you. Lord, would you revive my heart? Lord, would you bring revival to how I receive and welcome your word? And when we pray actively about those things that we are seeing aren't where they should be or could be, when we, when we bring those things before the Lord, I believe that excites God. I believe God's going, cool, I've seen that for a while. I just wanted you to admit it. I wanted you to say that I'm bored. And God, I shouldn't be bored. I should be excited. This is your word, your spirit. Breathe this word through holy men of God in the past. God, you preserved your word through the centuries when evil men try to stamp it out. You have kept it going, Lord. Your word endures forever. Your word is living and it's powerful. But why is it not that way to me right now? 
just because I'm not excited, just because I'm not seeing God's word work powerfully in me does not mean that it's not able to. It's that I'm not allowing it to. I'm not recognizing the power that's inherent in the word of God because this is the word of God. It's not man's word, it's God's word. And if anything comes out of this study today that maybe for us who are finding ourselves in sort of just a a rote, a, a rut, like we're just going through the motions, there's not a lot of excitement we're not really sensing the the word impacting the soil of our hearts. Maybe we're not seeing the kind of fruitfulness spring up that we know God wants to have happen. Would we today say, Lord, something's off. And God, I want that to change. Lord, refresh me, revive me, renew my mind. Renew my sense of wonder when I come to your word. God, would your word work effectively and powerfully in my life? God, if there's stuff in the soil of my heart that I've been planting, and maybe it's not even you directly planting it, maybe it's just, it's your environment. It's what you're allowing in through the eye and ear gate of your life. Stuff's being planted into your life each day there's influences that are planting themselves into the soil of your hearts and it's choking out the word that we would have the humility to say god stuff needs to change lord i've allowed things into my life that don't belong god make some coarse adjustments Lord, there's some hardness in my heart where I'm not allowing you to convict me. I'm not allowing you to correct me. Lord, till up the hard ground. God forbid that we would allow any hardness to exist in our hearts. That we would be going off of some sort of emotional excitement, but without any sort of relational depth that there would be thorns and thistles that would be growing up in our hearts that would be choking out the fruitfulness of God's word. But that we would be people who receive the word with all readiness. Daily searching the scriptures to make sure these things we're being taught are really accurate. We have eagerness and how we get into the word of god and get god's word into us that we'd be students of god's word not waiting till sunday to feast on the word of god but taking advantage of the access each of us have to his word and really welcoming it in letting it dwell as paul writes in colossians chapter 3 dwelling in us richly with all wisdom Is God's word dwelling? Is it having its home richly, abundantly in our lives? Or is God's word sort of a semi-welcomed guest that we shove into the room and say, stay there? (laughs) Like, 
That's your place. But don't venture out. Don't, don't try to change things up in my life. That we'd welcome God's word and that we'd seek to live it out by faith each and every day. It does take an element of faith. If we want to see God's word working effectively in us, the word of God has to be mixed with faith. It has to be mixed with belief. That means that we take God at his word. That we, we take those things in and we go, God, I, I want to now live these things out in my life, Lord, and I need your help. I need your grace. I need your power. And then stepping out in faith in those things that God's word is telling us. How is God's word affecting how is it impacting? How is it influencing us today? I think maybe for some of us, we need to pray those sorts of prayers. We need to put our finger on some of those things that we're seeing. We've just been letting kind of go on autopilot and go, Lord, change this. Lord, would you change this? Would you be working Asking God to bring that refreshing, reviving sort of work into our lives and into our time spent with him. They believed. Many of them believed. The word of God was working. People were getting saved in the city of Berea. But doesn't seem like it lasted in that season for very long let's read verses 13 and 14 verse 13 but when the jews from thessalonica learned that the word of god was preached by paul at berea they came there also and stirred up the crowds then immediately the brethren sent paul away to go to the sea but both silas and timothy remained there we don't know how long this season lasted where Many of the Jews and Greeks believed in Jesus there in Berea where things were maybe a bit more restful and there wasn't the sort of opposition that they had in Thessalonica, but it doesn't seem to have lasted very long because as soon as a report got back to Thessalonica that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, the gospel rejecting Jews from Thessalonica came to Berea. They were committed, 46 miles of travel for them, off the beaten path, coming to the city of Berea, stirring up the crowds there in that city, which maybe followed the same sort of tactic they took in Thessalonica, wanting to create a mob mentality to get rid of Paul. But before it got to the point of there being a mob and violence taking place, we find in verse 14 that these new believers in Berea, they immediately sent Paul away to go to the sea, but that Paul, I'm sorry, that Silas and Timothy remained there. Paul was obviously the one in greater danger here as the leader of that missionary team, the more prominent evangelist among their group, probably the more outspoken, which is why Silas and Timothy were able to remain 
in Berea. But I love how in each of these situations, we're seeing some sort of representative of their team lingering behind in these different places being planted, or the churches being planted in these different places and cities so that they'd be further established in the faith. I just, I, I just love this heart. They didn't just want to see people saved. Like, cool, you're saved. We're out of here. Like, good luck. Hope you make it. Like, no, they, they left behind sort of a remnant for the, from their team in each of these places to really pour in even more, to see discipleship happen for even longer, maybe to recognize those among them that God had his hand upon to even become potential leaders in the church to be able to really see things take shape so that when they did leave, they weren't left high and dry. They were left feeling encouraged. They were left with something from the Lord to really stand upon. And as Berea was close to 50 miles inland away from the Aegean Sea, the believers we find here send Paul away to the sea to get him further away from the trouble that kept following him in Macedonia. But in this, God was actually going to use the persecution and Paul being sent away to take the gospel into other parts of Greece. If this hadn't happened, we may not have seen that same gospel reach into the southern portion of Greece where Paul is now going to go down into the area of Athens and then into the city of Corinth. But look at verse 15. It says, So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and having um, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. The believers from Berea who sent Paul away actually went with him. It's a pretty big commitment. It's one thing to usher the guy, you know, close to 50 miles away by foot. It's another thing to say, yeah, we'll get in the boat with you and we're going to travel those several hundred miles uh, down to the city of Athens. But that's what they did. They had such a, a love and care for the apostle Paul in making sure that he was safe in his journey, make sure, making sure that he was accompanied, that he had encouragement even as he traveled uh, down to Athens. But once they got Paul there safely, we see Paul gave them a message to bring back to Silas and Timothy that they should come to him quickly. And so these believers departed by ship back to Berea leaving Paul alone there in the city of Athens. And we'll see more of this develop as we get into this other part of uh, chapter 17 where Paul begins to, to have his, his spirit provoked within him as he sees all of the idolatry in the city of Athens. But again, there's a lot we can learn from how the believers in Thessalonica and Berea receive the word of God that I, that I pray we apply to our lives. And maybe today it's just a word of encouragement, like keep going, keep prioritizing that time with the Lord in his word. Keep 
getting God's word into you. Look, it's not always going to be super exciting. There's not always going to be an aha sort of moment when you're in the word of God, but it's a discipline for us oftentimes to continue in it, trusting at the same time that God's word is able to speak into our lives and allowing God to have the time to even be able to do that, to give them the act, give him the access to our hearts so that his, his word has an opportunity to be planted and to bear fruit. And so guys, I encourage us today to continue to be people of the word. There are so many things to distract us today. There are so many things that we can take and sow into the soil of our hearts, but please understand that it's only the seed of God's word that is going to bear the right kind of fruit. The kind of fruit that Jesus said would bring much glory to the Father. And with that, I want you guys to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as we prepare to take communion together this morning. First Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to read verses 23 through 26. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, he said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Guys, we partake of the communion elements looking back we do it with the heart of worship we do it with a heart of gratitude knowing what jesus endured what he went through for us that jesus who was perfect and spotless the lamb of god who would take away the sin of the world that he willingly went to the cross that he allowed himself to be brutally massacred by the people that he came to save, that he allowed himself to be nailed to a Roman cross, that he allowed his blood to be shed so that you and I could experience forgiveness of sins, that we could be brought into a, a new covenant relationship with God that is brought about by grace. We take the communion elements in remembrance of Jesus. This means that there should be a seriousness about our partaking of the elements, that we're really thinking through these things, that we're really, you know, worshiping the Lord as we do it. But at the same time, as we look back, there's this, this looking forward that Paul talks about as we take communion, that we're looking forward to Christ's re return, proclaiming his death, until he comes. So not only is this 
causing us to look back in thankfulness. It's causing us to look forward with anticipation because, guys, Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. The Thessalonian believers, we read the first letter, and in each chapter, uh, Paul reminds these believers about things that they had already been taught in even just a short time about the return of Christ. You and I don't have to be eschatology experts to have an eager anticipation for the return of our Lord. We believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ for his church. And more and more in these dark days, I believe for a lot of us, we're saying, even so, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord. Come quickly, but Lord, in the meantime, use us powerfully. You haven't come back yet. You have a plan You're still working, Lord, even as we wait, make us effective for you. Amen? Look, if you don't know Jesus personally this morning, I'd love to give you that opportunity. If that's anybody here, you know, Jesus loves you. He died for you, wants to save and forgive and bring about that right relationship with the Father. If that's anybody here today, and that's you, would you stand where you're at just saying, look, that's me, and I want that forgiveness. I want that right relationship with the Father. I want to know my sins are forgiven. My guilt is erased. My shame is removed. That my place in heaven is secure. Maybe that's somebody joining us online this morning as the worship team comes back up i as we also pray for our communion elements i want to pray maybe even for any who would be joining us that are in that place of wanting to receive jesus's salvation if you guys would pray with me lord i just pray for the state of our hearts this morning god and if there is anybody who's joined us who doesn't have that personal saving relationship with you that is recognizing even now their need for you, Jesus, that that they can't save themselves, that they've got a sin problem that they can't overcome. None of us could overcome, Lord, in our own power, Lord. We needed your forgiveness. We needed your salvation. I just encourage you, if that's any person this morning that in your own heart you would just say jesus i am a sinner jesus would you forgive me of my sins and would you save me would you cleanse me of all unrighteousness would you make me right in the eyes of the father jesus give me your righteousness today Jesus, would you seal me with your Holy Spirit and save me and give me the promise of eternal life? Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave. Jesus, I put my trust in you today. Be my Savior. 
Be my Lord. Be my God. Be my friend. I just encourage you, if you've done that today, that the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. But Lord, I just pray for us as your people this morning that God, you would help us to really receive your word, to really welcome it in to our hearts. God, that the soil of our hearts would be that good soil. Lord, if there's areas of our hearts, God, that need to be tilled up, Lord, if there's some weed removal, some rocks and some stumps, Lord, that have embedded themselves in our lives of, of sin or of doubt or of, uh, you know, whatever it might be, that, Lord, you would remove those things, God, that you would, Lord, God, bring about a freshness in our lives and our relationship with you, Lord, Revive us today, Lord God. Renew our minds. God, transform us. Lord, would your word truly dwell in us richly, abundantly, Lord, having its home in in us, Lord, having free reign in our lives, God, that it would work effectively in us who believe. Lord, and in those areas, God, where we're maybe just in a place of apathy, Lord, a place of, of laziness even, or maybe just, Lord, discouragement. And we, our time with you, God, is lacking freshness. It's, it's lacking vibrancy, Lord. It's lacking, Lord, a real eagerness. God, I pray that, Lord, you would bring change. Lord, that you'd bring, God, just a, 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 ref, a refreshing of heart. Lord, for each of us today and in the coming days. God, make us people of your word. God, in these days, Lord, where, Lord, the word of people is just boldly proclaimed from every possible avenue. God, that we would listen to your voice above all others. And God, walk in faith and obedience to you. And Jesus, we thank you this morning for your body that was broken. Lord Jesus, that you allowed sinful man to put you on the cross, piercing your hands and your feet. Jesus, this morning we take the bread and we do this, Jesus, in remembrance of you. Would you take the bread with me? And Jesus, as we do that, we also consider, Lord, the juice. Jesus, that represents your blood, the blood of the new covenant, your blood that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus, we just are so thankful that you, Lord, bled in our place, Lord, that your blood paid our debt in full, that Jesus, you could proclaim from the cross, it is finished. Lord Jesus, we remember your powerful and all-sufficient blood that has provided atonement and propitiation for each and every one of us.
Jesus, we remember this morning your blood that was shed. Let's take the juice together. And Jesus, as we do that, as we look back with gratitude, Lord, as we look back to the cross with hearts of worship and remembrance of you, Jesus, we also look forward in anticipation, Lord. Jesus saying to you, even today, Lord, come quickly. Lord, Maranatha, Jesus, we desire your return. We believe, Lord, in your imminent return for your church. But Jesus, until that day, Lord, help us to be busy about the Father's business. Lord, busy about your kingdom. Lord, busy about taking your gospel to lost people. Jesus, Lord, help us in these days as we wait for your return. Lord, to be found faithful to what you've called us to. And Jesus, we need your help. Lord, we need your power. We need your grace. Lord, we need endurance. Lord, even as we considered last week, Lord, to keep running the race that you set before us. Jesus, keeping our eyes firmly fixed upon you. And so, Lord, as we sing these songs, Lord, would, would it all just flow out of a heart of gratitude, Lord, a heart of response to what you've spoken to us today. Jesus, be honored, be glorified, Lord, be magnified as we continue, Lord, in this attitude of worship as we sing these songs to you. We thank you, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.